1: Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Tuesday edition is here. We're here to make the afternoon go by faster for you. Over the next three hours, we'll chat with Colt Nost, CBS golf analyst, on course reporter for the PGA Tour. He'll be with us in about 20 minutes. John McClain of GallerySports.com. He joins us from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. That's in hour number two. And Breckman Murphy on all things college football and the Pac-12 media rights deal and more. He'll join us in hour three. Chad, good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon, Hutton. Fired up, ready to go. Look down at my Twitter feed right now and just a tweet pops up being sent to me that's in an argument with two other people. Completely out of context. This is what I read as we open the show. This is from someone called Swarm. Oh, yeah. On Twitter, who says... Long-time
1: listener, first-time caller. Yeah,
0: well, I don't know what this is in regards to. I'm, I've got an idea, but uh, he's, <laughs> he's talking to someone else that's been tweeting with me, and he says... Oh, you're, you're
1: caught in that loophole. Yeah, like, I just... Yeah.
0: We should get an out-of-context Twitter reply
1: every day to start the show,
0: but this is today's. Having cats doesn't make you a man, and you don't know me. You have no idea what I write around in, smartass. I've made enough to be retired at the age of 39. What about you? No punctuation. All one run-on sentence. That is what I got from Swarm, also known Our, as at dad 9
1: on Twitter. This sounds like the, the, chat, the chat bot that we used. It's just automatically responding yeah, to you now. Yeah, it, it could be a chat bot for sure, or it could you know, just be an idiot. Chat, uh, chatter again, once again, with Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders. Where uh, Yesterday we mentioned that there was a report out that he was blocking Jeff Bezos from making a formal offer. Um, through Bank of America that they weren't allowing him to to make that offer. They're handling all the finances for this. And, uh, and then within 24 hours, before we even start the show again today, there are more details out with this where a report is out from the Washington Post that Dan Snyder, owner of the Commanders, has demanded that the NFL indemnify him if there is future uh, liability or costs through this investigation that's been going on, um, if he refuses to sell the team, which is what he's threatening to do or has done, Goodell's apparently really livid about it, that there could be a vote to remove him from that position as one of the 32 NFL owners, which they've never taken a vote before to remove an NFL owner. The NFL, by the way, um, they've also been asked, according to reports, to keep the investigation and the information that Mary Jo White finds out from her internal investigation of workplace management and everything going on with the commanders. Snyder wants to keep all of that confidential and private, but the NFL has already said they're going to release the report publicly. That's what they've told fans and media that have been asking about this. He wants all of that confidential. I will say that the details are Fascinating because of the rivalry between Bezos, who is, of course, the owner of the Washington Post, that's reporting this. And then you have Snyder, who's blocking him from making an offer. Meanwhile, he's not getting the offer that he wants. Plus, he's not getting the cooperation of the owners to agree to this. So he's threatening not to sell and just remain the owner. But these other details come out about financial misconduct, which is at the crux of of what Mary Jo White and the investigation is looking into. Details came out that, that it, around a financial misconduct, and this is through ESPN, Snyder allegedly took a $55 million loan through the franchise without informing the minority owners at the time. At the time this took place, it was 18 months before Snyder bought out the minority ownership of Fred Smith of FedEx, Dwight Schar who's the founder of a Fortune 500 company, and Robert Rothman, who is the founder and CEO of a private investment firm. Those three men made up 40% of ownership, but they didn't know about this $55 million loan through the franchise that they co-owned with Snyder that he took out against the team. And he's also get a borrowing or, or charging the team $4.5 million to put the team logo on his private jet, charging four and a half million, by four the and, way, and a half million for the logo for
0: something that gives them no real advertising value
1: and uh, paying himself 10 million in salary to lease his private jets to the team. Again, that he's the majority owner of at the time he since bought them out, but this is three billionaires going head to head with another guy. And meanwhile, Jerry Jones is negotiating with Snyder on behalf of the owners. I think there is a perception that the owners are going to just run into a room and vote. But here's why they don't want to do that. Because if he sells, and I still think it's headed that way. He can threaten all he wants. If he sells the team on his own accord, quote-unquote, wink-wink, that's going to be a record-setting sale price for an NFL franchise. Then you have the other organizations after that meeting, if not far exceeding, that sell price for the foreseeable future. So you reset the bar, you get the guy out that you want out without voting him out and setting a precedent of that, which they don't want to do. I think the owners will be patient with this, despite reports that there's going to be this fervor to rush into a room and have an immediate vote. I think the only way it gets to that point, if, if Snyder just comes out publicly and says, we're not leaving, I'm not leaving, I'm remaining the owner. And then details emerge of this uh, financial investigation. Which, by the way, the commanders released a statement um, on the $55 million that uh, apparently was taken out as a loan through the franchise, but the other owners didn't know about it. And the commander's spokesperson said in 2019, the team distributed amounts significantly in excess of the maximum amount of credit line to each of its shareholders. All distributions by the team were and have always been made on a pro rata basis to all shareholders, as is the case for any NFL franchise. We are audited annually, and we will complete. We will be uh, completely transparent in sharing all financials with the league in their review and oversight. Crazy story, uh, and here we go again with Dan Snyder. And Dan Snyder,
0: his threat to the league, and bear with me here because mm-hmm. this is hilarious. Is I will just continue to own this team. <laughs> and well, that will be the biggest embarrassment to you and everyone else is I just won't sell, yeah. and I'll. Con- it's almost like the ghost of Christmas past. I will continue to be the ghost of problems past in <laughs> and Washington <future. laughs> and the future, and I will embarrass <laughs> you. I'll do whatever I want. I'll continue to mismanage this organization. I will be morally, ethically uh, against everything that the league says they stand for. I'm going to take money where I want. I'm going to use this team as my own ATM. I'm going to charge them for anything I put on my private jet. I'm going to continue to do whatever the hell I want if you don't give me exactly what I want. Because exactly what you want, NFL, and every owner is to sell for this record price and get Daniel Snyder out of the league. But what Daniel Snyder is saying is basically, hey... I did all this because the NFL (laughs) guys, you understand, right? For the, to the other 31 owners, he's like, you get it. I mean, we get going in this thing. We're making a lot of money, you know, some, some, we might cut some loose ends here and there. We might do some different things. Corners are cut. I'm going to do what I need to, to get to the point that I want to get to you got Jerry, you get it. I'm going to negotiate with Jerry Jones. Jerry, come on. You've got a past. You understand it. It's because the NFL that I did all these things. I got fat and happy, but I wasn't happy enough, so I kept getting fatter the entire time in any way that I could. And, Jerry, you get it. You understand, Jerry, right? Come on. Work with me here, Jerry. It's because of the NFL I did all these things. So the NFL must protect me from future liability because I'm only doing all this because the NFL. Give me compensation. You guys understand. So compensate me, protect me. From all future litigation, and then I'll sell your precious franchise for that precious record amount. I this is all just fascinatingly
1: hilarious to me. The whole story. Well, and don't don't forget, there were early on there one of the the big uh, report on this. It was ESPN, Washington Post. One of them said that Snyder was like have a private. The report was there's a private investigator out with Jerry Jones. Remember that? Yeah. And you have Jerry Jones in effect, negotiating a peace treaty between one of the other NFL owners right now behind the scenes, trying to, hey, we'd like to have a record-breaking sale for the NFL franchise that you own. Take your five and a half, six and a half billion dollars and go about your way. And meanwhile, we avoid all litigation. We don't have to take this to court because Snyder's also threatened to sue the league if they don't indemnify him. And then you have, of course, the NFL that's saying... We're going to have this uh, stand up in court if we vote you out. We'll take you to court. This is crazy. And there will be a long standoff. So
0: um, someone responded to our conversation on Twitter and says, I don't understand how you can force someone to sell their own property. Wouldn't that make the price plummet? They can vote the team out of the league, but they can't force him to sell. Um, My response to that is... No, they can remove him as owner. Remove him as owner, not take the team completely out. But the price isn't plummeting because even though he's getting forced to sell, there's multiple billionaire buyers that are highly motivated that's forcing the price up. So even if it's a league decision to force him to sell, which pretty much is, they want him to sell, and I think he's sort of abiding by that with his own little uh, addendums to how the deal is going to go down... But when you have billionaire buyers that are highly motivated to get their hands on an NFL franchise, then that price isn't going to go anywhere. Well, but it's, up.
1: Al- it's already a billion more. Yep. And he w- reports are he wants upwards of seven billion. The record price right now is four point six, which was the Denver Broncos, which uh, Walton purchased. But reports are through Front Office Sports Snyder's already received an offer at least of five and a half billion, and there are other reports that go higher than that, although none of those have been confirmed through front office sports as to exactly who has made that bid. We know Tillman is in the mix. Um, Harris, the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, who's from D.C., is in the mix. Bezos wants to be, but he also knows the Seattle Seahawks and the trust with the Allen family, that's going to be up for sale. And he can jump in the league that way, too, after already being vetted the last couple of times through these other organizations. And Who knows? Maybe it doesn't stop with Seattle. Maybe there's another team we don't know is on the forefront of being the next team after Washington. But it doesn't have to be Snyder's franchise. The NFL owners want it to be next and want it to be soon because they want to be done with this.
0: And understandably so.
1: They want all this to end. Chad, we've got Colt Nose coming up uh, in a matter of uh, about eight minutes. You watched the Live Tour recently, and... Will you watch it again? I
0: had a nice little Sunday afternoon, Hutton. I went back and forth between some uh, Big Ten basketball. I got to see the finish between Michigan and Wisconsin. And then I was going back and forth between the PGA Tour event in yes. uh, uh, Palm Beach Springs, West Palm, s- somewhere down in South Florida, versus the Live Tour on, what is it called now, the CW? Yeah, what was it? I think that's it. Yeah, the CW, uh, their event in Mexico. And I am here to tell you that that Live Tour event um, was terrible. In, in every possible way. Uh, I don't know if it's just guys in shorts that really throw me off when I'm watching a golf event, but there is something very budget low rate about watching pro golfers in shorts play golf. Um, that's one problem I had with it. Uh, the side of the screen, they got to figure this out. Like I understand the team, the team concept, yeah. but having the logos as a part of it, and it's all abbreviations for the teams, and I don't know what the teams are and what the scores mean when I'm seeing the teams on there, it it was just not very well done. It was at a course in in Mexico. Look, they've got some legitimate talent Mm -hmm. to put something together here on the Live Tour, but I'm watching Live versus PGA, and uh, maybe I'm old-fashioned here. I don't know, but that PGA Tour event with no stars at the top of the leaderboard was light years more entertaining going back and forth from production value to the players playing, they were in pants, although the guy who finished second had some sort of tapered pant on where he saw his ankles. Never seen that on the PGA Tour before Before set, uh, before Sunday. Um, PGA Tour event was compelling. Came down to the last hole. They went to a playoff hole. And I, I just found myself watching this and thinking, man, I understand the money is what it is on the Live Tour, but the gap between the products is so wide right now. So wide. And look, if you're a player, I understand the, if you're going to pay me 10 times more for 10 times less the amount of work, mm-hmm. everyone would probably and, take that and deal. And you
1: get the majors. You can still compete in the majors. No
0: issue with that at all, right? If uh, Dustin Johnson on the, the Full Swing documentary, very honest about what he's doing on Live Tour. I also think that when you get that, you get what I watched on Sunday, mm. which are guys who don't care to win. They've well, already been paid. They don't really care. There, there's mo- no real motivation. Well, I, did, I didn't I didn't see not a lot all of All of
1: them have we don't know where the half the and I'm not claiming that it's a great product. I don't know where half the field is on the guaranteed money. We know the stars that are getting paid. Yeah. Who is who are you watching by chance? Do you was it uh
0: The leader was um uh, well uh Cam Smith was okay. like fifth or sixth on the leaderboard okay. when I was watching. Um, there were a couple of guys I'd never really heard of. I forget who was the top that I had heard of. That was one of the guys they plucked from the tour. Charles Howell third. Charles Howell third. Yeah, that, that's who it was. That was the top of the leaderboard. But again, I'm, I'm watching it. It's just, they got a long way to go. It's very new. I get all that. But if they really want to compete, all they're well, competing with now is just giving guys a blank check to leave. But the actual product that I watch on Sunday on the CW
1: not good well so shorts i agree with you it, it is jarring when you see it because uh, you're not used to seeing that on the PGA tour they they're playing they're blaring music it's a lot like waste management open yeah on but even, sca- but
0: even waste management open they're wearing pants until guys take yeah, their shorts but shirt i'm, off I'm saying the, the
1: environment that's what they're going for at every stop they were uh, chugging beers on the course whatever um that's more in line with what they're going for compared to the structured environment of the PGA Tour. Well, so at least in if theory, going, I'm not saying they're accomplishing. Yeah, it.
0: if you're going to do that, like you really got to go all in. I know. Like it's almost like you got to be in on the pro wrestling style work of it. If you're going to be that, like you got to like chug a beer a hole. If you're Cam Smith, you know, get a Foster's give oil can. Give someone cam. a stunner. Yeah, give Cam Smith the Foster's oil can. Let him chug a couple and then go about his round. Like I'd, I'd watch that more than
1: watching these guys in shorts on on Sunday. Colt Nose joins us, he watches the PGA Tour, was a PGA Tour professional, and uh, was on the tour on a weekly basis. Now he still is with CBS Sports on the course. Colt joins us next on Outkick 360.
2: You ready? Showtime.
1: From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. From pro golfer to pro talker, Colt Nose joins us on the Outkick Network. Uh, you can check out Gravy in the Sleeves on SiriusXM, the Subpar Podcast, and much more. Colt? Colt's great. actually playing her today, too, fighting oh, a cold. Really? Uh, the way I feel like everyone in America
0: has been fighting a cold for the last two months or so. So, uh, appreciate Thank you, you joining us even a little bit under the weather, Colt.
2: Yeah, it's not quite the Jordan flu game, you know, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best and, and play through it. But thanks for having me on, guys.
1: No doubt. Uh, so Chad and I, we, we're binging. He's already through it. Full swing on Netflix. Um, do you, you've been in the thick of it. Do you realize how cool that show is for guys like us and fans of just any sport to get that access?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, it's kind of like when I watched Drive to Survive for the first time, I knew nothing about F1. So to see that, I was fascinated by it. And then full swing is fantastic. There's no doubt. I mean, but as a golfer who follows it every single day and talks about it all day, every day, um, it's great. They did a great job with it. Saw saw some unbelievable behind-the-scenes action. Uh, I thought, for me, my favorite episode was probably Joel Damon, just because I consider him a buddy, and just to see, you know, for everyone else to find out his story of everything he's gone through and how he's one of the funniest, most self-deprecating guys out there. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I hope they do a season two. I would like to see a little different side of maybe not just the top guys. See how the, some yeah. of the guys that struggle to keep their card every year, you know, how they go about their everyday life.
1: Well, so was there a point in time on tour where if you heard about this show, you'd be like, nah, no way that we're, they'll do this. Uh, what, what, the, the timing of this was unbelievable, given the live tour and everything that came into it.
2: Yeah, I joke with Chad Mum all the time. I'm like, I mean, how lucky are you? (laughs) All this stuff that happened with Liv and the PGA Tour, it couldn't have worked out any better for him. And I think that's one reason why everyone is so fascinated with this series, Full Swing, is because they get to see, you know what really went on? What went into the the decision making for these guys to leave the PGA Tour and jump over to another tour? So, yeah, I I like to give him a hard time. He is one of the luckiest humans on the planet right now. (laughs)
0: Well, and Colt, you mentioned Joel Damon. I, that was my favorite episode of the series, was watching everything about him. And it's a good reminder that just because you're good at a sport doesn't mean you're a killer necessarily, right? I mean, we, we, we laud the guys like Tom Brady and Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods that have that killer mentality and edge at all times. And I think we're fascinated with them because they're so unlike most people on earth. And Joel Damon's so much like most people on earth. When you watch him, he just happens to be a PGA Tour professional. Um, I'm sure that you've been around, you know, tons of guys of all types on the PGA Tour. What was it like seeing that story, but also knowing your background and knowing there are plenty of Joel Damons on tour that are just trying to get by? And like he said, in the th- you know, hey, someone's got to be the 70th best golfer in the world. Might as well be me. I'm not trying to be top 10 over here.
2: Listen, I, I can relate to it as a guy who's just a, a normal guy that likes to have a good time. You know, I, I said forever, I, I didn't, you know, when I came out of college, I thought I could possibly be the best player in the world. It turned out I couldn't. But I said, I mean, if you give me, if I finish 70th on the FedEx or the money list for the next 15 years, I'm going to have a great career. I'm going to be very happy, make a lot of money and things are going to be great. And I think Joel just relates to that. But those guys you you mentioned, like the Tom Brady's, the, the Michael George's, the Tiger Woods. I mean, they do have that killer instinct and that's why they're the best that have ever done it. Um, I think that is something you have to have. That's why I look at, like, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, why in today's game, who I think the greats are, Rory McIlroy also being one of those. Um, I think that's a trait you have to have to be one of the greats. But for, like, Joel, like he said, it, it's okay to be the 50th ranked player in the world, the 70th ranked player in the world. And uh, you're that, you're still really, really good at your job.
1: Colt Oster, our guest on Outkick 360. Colt, there was – a. Uh, the story initially were, were the the players who were going to live. Is the story now the players who stayed and continue to stay?
2: It's an interesting story with everything that's going on. There's no doubt. I mean, I think at first when this all started, we were pretty nervous to see what was going to happen because listen, I, mean, I don't care who you are. It, it's hard to turn down a hundred million dollars and you know, they get the likes of Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau and it's, It was, I was, I was worried there for a little bit, but now I feel like things have really cooled off. Um, They haven't gotten some of the big guys they really wanted to get. And the PGA tour has stepped up Um, one because of the new TV deal they got, but two, I mean, when there's competition, you have to react. And the PGA tour did, and things are incredible right now on the PGA tour. In my opinion, you look what happened, you know, at the WM Phoenix open, look what happened at the Genesis invitational, John Rahm and Max Homa battling it out. And even last week at Honda, I know the field's not that strong, but the finish was so exciting with Chris Kirk um, beating Eric Cole in a playoff. Eric Cole, unless you're a diehard golfer, probably have never heard of him. I mean, I talk talk about golf 24-7, 365. I knew the name. I didn't know really anything about him. So it was cool to see that story. But these designated events, just like we're going to have this week uh, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, getting the best players in the world to play against each other more often. I don't know what more you can ask for.
0: Well, the designated events certainly are one thing that's a huge draw. And I, I was uh, one of the wackos that watched the final five or six holes of the, of the Honda event on Sunday and, and loved it, uh, even though I knew nothing about either of the two guys battling it out in the end. But Colt, when you look at the Tiger effect, you know over 2.5 million viewers for the final round of the Genesis because he's involved in it and he made the cut and he's playing on Sunday versus what this sport and what this tour will look like when Tiger can't go anymore. What do you think about what's next for the PGA tour without Tiger?
2: There's never gonna be another Tiger Woods. Um, you know, at Genesis, that was my first experience ever being inside the ropes with him. Obviously, I played in many a tournaments that he played in, but never got paired with him. So I didn't get to see like what that world was like. And I got him for fifty-four of the seventy-two holes at Genesis, and I was just blown away by all the attention he gets, the amount of people that show up to watch him play, even when he's not in contention, the amount of media people inside the ropes covering it. I mean, like it's, you know, we've said it a million times. He doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. And until you get to see that up close and personal, I don't really think you really appreciate it. But he is just, you know, it's going to be a sad day when he's not out there playing in um, more tournaments, major championships. I mean, we we get him on a very limited basis now. But if you look, I mean, the game of golf is really young right now, and there's so many great players. I don't think that we're ever going to see a guy dominate the way Tiger Woods did. But we're going to see this number one ranking move between five, six guys over the next decade or so. And I think that's a good thing. I think we're going to. It's so competitive right now. Like everyone thinks John Rahm's just going to automatically win a major championship just this year because the way he's been playing. You know, he only gets four cracks at it. If his game doesn't show up that week, or someone just plays better, he might go get shut out this year. We don't know.
1: Colt, we're, I'm assuming part of the coverage that you're talking about inside the roast Tiger was the Saturday round where he's four under. Yeah what what did what did that round tell you about where he is?
2: That if he can walk for 72 holes. And, and get through it, be able to recover at night and everything, that he can win. I mean, there, why not? I mean, we saw what he did at the Masters in 2019. He shot 67 that day at Riviera. Saw some shots that, I mean, I said flashback, I think a couple of times on air. Into the first hole, it was his 10th. He had a five iron from a crazy downhill lie out of the rough, big high slice to about two feet and made eagle. And I'm like, huh, seen that before. <laughs> that was, uh, it was just so impressive. But he shoots 67 Really didn't make anything. Should have shot 65, 64. So the swing's there. Um, You know, a lot was made about his putting at Riviera. He's never putting good there. So let's see what happens when he tees it up again. I I would like to see him tee it up once before Augusta National. But if not, obviously nobody knows the greens at Augusta National better than him. So I think he'll be fine once he gets there. But the ball striking was so impressive. You know, Thursday, Friday, he played with Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas. And I'm not kidding you, when when they all hit it, he was right there with them, if not past them. So he still got speed at 47.
1: How many times have you seen the tampon joke play out
2: on course? Um, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I get it. It's a it's a sensitive world we live in nowadays, but it's just a little joke between friends. Yes. I uh, thought it got blown out of, blown J- out of proportion. Justin Thomas
0: laughed uh, yeah. when, he, when he got it. You know, he was, he was laughing more than anyone else.
2: Yeah, I mean they're good buddies. I mean you you guys know how y'all are. Y'all work together. I'm sure y'all pull pranks and talk trash to each other nonstop. No doubt,
1: no doubt. Yeah, and then that that was our take too. Was just the overreaction to it. Um, so ha- has there been a point where you're doing your coverage on CBS and you finish up what you were saying? You're like, man, I was I was way too loud right there. Like the guy heard me but didn't say anything.
2: Uh no, not yet you know, I'm pretty careful. I'm lucky over at CBS, we travel, we carry like a little monitor so I can actually see the broadcast as I'm walking down the fairways. And so therefore it allows me to get far enough away from where the guys are that I can talk because one of the things that drives me nuts when I watch golf is when the on-course people whisper and you can barely hear them at all Yes. because I think it's kind of pointless. So for me, I remove myself. I get far enough away where I can actually talk like a normal human and people can actually understand me, but it it is always a little scary. The good news about being with Tiger is it's so loud around there. You can just be right next to him and talk however you want.
0: What kind of training is involved with that? Because I hear that you're walking around with a monitor and I feel like that's kind of involved, you know, to throw, throw you out there and do that where you're you've got your own technology there right in front of you. Very helpful. Uh, But when you got into that, this was there, Was there a lot of training, or did they throw you out there and say, hey, here's your monitor, here's your mic, let's see what you got?
2: So when I first started, I was actually in a tower. I was in 16 Tower at Riviera the first time, and I I love telling this story. And Lance Barrow, who's the legendary CBS broadcaster, uh, he was producing the show that day, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was still playing at the time. I was just out with injury, and he sends me out to 16 Tower, doesn't really say much. And we're, we're, we're going along and I'm talking about some shot here and there. And he says commercial. So I stopped talking. He says commercial again. I don't say anything. He goes, Colt, send it to commercial. I was like, oh, we'll be right back to the Genesis invitational. I had no idea. And then in commercial he's, he goes, Colt, whoever the last person talking is is who sends it to commercial. And I say commercial, I'm like, cool. I had no idea. That's how this thing works. So <laughs> There's there's not a whole lot of prep. It's kind of sink or swim. I think in the TV world, um, it's great. You know, I, I've been very fortunate to get to move down onto the ground and be an on course guy, which is where I feel like I belong. And I have so much fun out there doing it. But uh, that first day was quite the experience.
1: Colton Oster, our guest, CBS Sports and uh, co-host of the Gravian and Sleaze on Sirius XM. Um, so 2007, you win the U.S. Amateur, but then you turn pro. And that means you can't accept the invitation to Augusta and uh, other majors. What what led you to turn pro, and how did you turn down that invite?
2: Yeah, it was a tough decision. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, going through that summer, I played so great. Even going back to 2006, I played really good. It led over into 2007. Uh, I was the number one amateur in the world. You know, my stock wasn't getting any higher. I got an off um, some financial opportunities that I didn't think I should pass up. You know, my family took great care of me all through junior golf and amateur golf. And I thought it was kind of time to pay it back. And, you know, I I got three starts that fall on the PGA tour. Once I turned pro and the way I was playing, I was like, hell, I might get in contention and win one and be there anyway in April. Um, But for me, it was, I was finished with school. It was tough to sit out. What was that? Six, seven, eight months to wait, wait around for the, the masters, which it's the biggest golf tournament in the world. I had, A lot of confidence in my ability that I would eventually get there at some point. Didn't turn out that way, which sucks, but uh, I still get to go there every year for CBS, and it is a special place and uh, the coolest golf tournament in the world.
0: So I know you said there's not going to be another Tiger Woods, and we're not asking for that right away or anything, but in your opinion, who is the American golfer to watch if Tiger Woods isn't playing? We know he's going to try to give it a go in in the majors, but... Who is that American you've got your eye on? Not to be the next Tiger Woods, but the person of interest on tour now moving forward.
2: Uh, Well, I think it's really, you know, it's really come about recently, and that's Max Homa. Um, I've been so high on him ever since I met him when he was in college. You know, even when he was on tour and made two cuts and made $18,000, I've been a huge Max Homa fan. Play a lot of golf with him here at home at Whisper Rock and at Silverleaf. And the guy's talent is just unbelievable. He continues to get better and better. You know, I say it all the time, in my opinion, he's one of two guys on the PGA Tour that doesn't have a weakness, and that's John Rahm and and him. And so I think, you know, his major record hasn't been, you know, what he, he wants it to be, what we expect it to be, but the run he's been on as of late, going against the best players in the world, winning these big tournaments like the Genesis Invitational, you know, battling John Rahm all the way down to the end. Um, just recently at Riviera. Once again, I think this guy's got all the tools and I think he believes it now that he is one of the best players in the world. I mean, in my opinion, he's probably the fourth best golfer in the world, even though he's ranked eighth. So he's one of those names now. And when he gets up, when they see it up on the leaderboard, they take notice. The kid's the real deal. He's going to win a major before this is all said and done. Uh,
0: of the guys that play regularly, is Rory McElroy the unquestioned elder statesman of the PGA tour now?
2: Yeah, I think the role he has took on has been fantastic. He's very outspoken. Uh, he cares a lot. Uh, and everyone respects his opinion. Listen, it's one of, he's one of the best players in the world, four-time major champion. Uh, he's very smart, very well thought out. And that's not easy to do, to 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 be that spokesman, to take on that role, and then still go play against the best players in the world and play well. It's been really impressive to see what he's – what he's doing because this game is so hard when everything's going great when you have to go talk about other stuff and then go compete um it's pretty impressive
1: it, are most golfers like kepka in that the the mental aspect of it is constantly being thought about uh, on a on a minute by minute basis like that episode in the show or is he on the extreme side of it
2: no i think that's very normal i actually you know, I don't enjoy seeing anyone struggle, but I, I enjoyed seeing him open up because I think that's a side we've never seen of Brooks Koepka. Um, You know, he he has not been the player that we saw who went on that ridiculous run in the major championships where he won four in such a short amount of time. Um, you know, he's dealt with the injuries and all that. And I say all, all the time, these guys are so good that if I mean, if you're, you're trying to play at 70, 75 percent, it's going to be really tough for you to compete. But I thought that episode was really interesting to see Brooks open up and see that, you know, the guy we thought was, which he still is, one of the toughest competitors um, in the game of golf, be vulnerable, you know, show that he's really struggling. I thought that was one of the better episodes to watch. And you get more insight than I thought we ever would from Brooks Koepka.
1: What's the worst slump you
2: were in? My whole career. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I will tell you. Uh, I believe in 2012, I finished third like twice in the first eight or nine events. Um, right before, right after Hilton Head, and then I missed ten straight cuts. Uh, that one was shocking. I went from like 38th on the money list to almost losing my card, missing ten straight in a row, ten straight cuts. That was uh, that's one of those ones like, oh my god, am I ever going to make a cut again?
0: Colt, so you mentioned Silverleaf is your home course. One of them,
2: Silverleaf. In West Barack, yes, sir. I
0: don't want to sound too big time here, but Hutton and I had dinner at Silverleaf uh, very recently. We were there for the Super Bowl. So, uh, we snuck in. It's uh, quite the place, yeah. We, we put on the maitre d' costume, and we walked in the back, and we uh, helped serve some people their dinner that night. It was great.
2: That's a heck of a
1: clubhouse, isn't it? It is uh, incredible. You know yes. you're in the right place where you're, those going there for their job, they're not allowed to accept tips. That's when you know you're in the right place.
2: That's uh that's very well said. Yeah, it's uh, it is an awesome place. My buddy Ben Herman bought bought it a few years ago and uh, it's it's cool, man. The best part is it's got a bar on the range.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, we we didn't catch that. We need to catch we that next We caught the time. bar on the inside, yeah. but not on the range. That's right. So we in, in the the dining area had a bar too. It's perfect. Colt, thank you, man. It we is. we appreciate this and um let's let's catch up soon. Next time we're out, we'll we'll have to give you a shout and see if uh you know we can sneak into the club you're currently drinking
2: at. Please do. I'd love to do it. And uh, I'm very jealous of y'all being in Nashville right now. It's one of my favorite cities.
1: Who's your drinking partner for CBS whenever you're on the road?
2: Oh, the one and only Frank Nabila. He is is the best.
0: Well, we'll uh, get a reservation for three at the Driving Range (laughs) Bar at Silverleaf. And (laughs) next time we're out in the desert, we'll go there. And whenever you're in Nashville, hit us up and we'll We'll get you set up here at uh, Sixth and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw
2: you got it you are welcome anytime out here appreciate you having Thanks, me appreciate, you it, appreciate it man
1: check out the yeah. show uh gravy in the sleeve series xm plus uh the podcast subpar podcast uh, Good I've, I've checked out the uh
0: the, the show very well done very entertaining and a great name
1: for a show perfect yes uh what do you think about the name colt uh not a huge fan <laughs> I'm just. I'm always fascinated by. It's uh, very. You know, he grew up in Texas.
0: Like I know he's he's from Ohio originally, but grew up in Texas. It's like a very kid born in the mid '90s to 2005. That's a a name you have to live up to, though. Colt McCoy. I mean, Colt McCoy is the perfect name for the Texas quarterback in the history of names, right? Yes. Um, I I don't know. It's it's a little kitschy for me, but it fits. It fits him well. Uh, Look, it's better than Chad. Of four-letter names that start with C, Colt is way better than Chad. So I'm not knocking the name. It's just not my
1: favorite. Uh, Nick Cannon, uh, he's he's running out of names because of all the children he's having. Maybe Colt's next up on the list because he's not done. Uh, He says four-letter words
0: when he finds out he's about to have a kid, but
1: it's not the name of the kid. That's next on kick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Hutton and Withrow with you. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hit us up on social, or you can join Chad in the chat. Join me in the chat. I'm Kick chatting
0: chatting away with Chad in the chat. Say that 10 times fast.
1: I can't. I always get it mixed up. I say Chad. I have to
0: slow things down all the Chad time to say it properly. Chad
1: with you is what I normally say.
0: Chad's in the chat.
1: You say that well. But saying it fast is an, an impossibility. Uh, for whatever reason, I have to think it through. Not great at, at the chat with Chad. There, uh,
0: right now, the chat is just blowing up with other four-letter names that start with C that are worse than Colt or Chad. And they've come up with Carl I, with a C. Oh, okay. Kale. That's a great one. That's terrible. C a l e. That's a bad one. That sounds like a Yellowstone name. Chip. Chip. I think chips. You could chip argue is, chip uh, is better than Chad. I, I had a know. guy, a, a co-worker, Mez, that worked with me. Shout out to Mez, at the Polo Ralph Lauren outlet in <laughs> Lebanon, Tennessee, back in 2002. The guy you would race on uh, folding shirts? Yeah, we'd race. We, we partied together. We hung out. Good guy. Played football at Cumberland University. Tremell Clements, uh, a.k.a. Mez. He called me Chip. Uh, that's the only thing. He would, he would not call me Chad. His nickname for me was Chip. And that's uh, the only way he would refer to me is, oh, Chip's over there. And that's the Amazing. one person in my life who called me Chip. And I've got to be honest, I liked it better than Chad. I wanted it
1: to stick. It didn't. Chip Cannon or Colt Cannon? Because who knows with uh, Nick Cannon's family. Mm. Um, So he says, yeah, he's going to have as many kids as he can. He recently had his 12th child uh, in December. And he says, look, it's in God's hands if I'm going to have a 13th. Lucky number 13. That's a lot of kids. Chad, as a father of two. Can you imagine adding ten more? No, no. <laughs> I, I I marvel at people with three kids. Uh,
0: four kids really throws me off balance. But uh, that many? No. Now I'll say, like, I, he's a very busy guy. I know that you know he works a lot uh, in show oh, business. He's no doubt, busy. He's very busy. <laughs> he's he's at it all the time. Uh, a lot of work that he's putting out there. <laughs> I just don't know, like... that time clock. When you get to that level, or like, you know, the Travis Henry running back situation yeah. with so many kids with so many different women, I'm not trying to belittle what's going on here, but I, he's probably not the most present dad in the world with all of the kids, so I don't really know what his workload is. Yeah. Like, I, I try to be around both of my children's lives as much as I can, so that's a time commitment. But... If you have 13 kids and you're not really interested in being around them all that much regardless, it may not affect anything other than your pocketbook. Yes. If you get where I'm going. I, in terms of what you're paying to so the different has,
1: moms. He has six six moms. And I'm
0: not here to judge. Maybe he's the best dad in the world to all... How many kids? Uh, Twelve. All 12 His kids. 12th, yes. Maybe he's a great dad one, to one all of them and spends away. a lot of time did with them. One pass
1: away. So, uh, you know, I, w- I don't want to make light of that. No. But he's had... He's the father of 12.
0: Again, maybe he's uh, all of his time is consumed with being a proper dad to all
1: 12 kids. I doubt it. when
0: you have 12 kids with that many women quote, I mean
1: I'm just you know being logical here with entertainment tonight but, He says, yeah, God decides when we're done, but I believe I definitely got my hands full and I'm so focused, I'm locked in, but when I'm 85, you never know I might. <laughs> it comes to uh, considering that he's done with you know having children. I love that it's when he's 85. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've had. This reminds me. I've
0: had 12, but, you know, when I get to be 85, maybe I will uh, decide to sire me another child.
1: Of Francis Von Schmidt. <laughs> yeah. Francis Von Schmidt on uh, Chad's lineage. Uh, we need to find Francis' birthday and celebrate it in style on
0: the show So... and have a Francois Von Schmidt so French. Francois. I think he later
1: went by Francis
0: to more Americanize
1: was, his name. <laughs> This is one of Chad's ancestors. He was in Prussia. What was he? Was a was he a prince?
0: He was. Um, well, he was a part. He was like a duke okay. of Prussia. Okay, you know, which was a part of Germany. You know, the, the Germany but Germany later he fled took here over.
1: because he didn't want to be killed.
0: He slept with the wrong woman.
1: Is okay. what he did. Right. I
0: think that he had relations with someone betrothed yes. to someone else or some other member of
1: a royal family where he, it was important for him to get on a ship and head to the United States. So he, he arrives here and then ends up fighting. Chad, you, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He ends up as the third in command of Andrew Jackson's army that fought in the War of 1812. I should write the book about his life. If anyone should be his biographer,
0: it should be a descendant of Francois von Schmidt, which is and, me, and I can do the research and write the biography of him.
1: The best part is the Hermitage, Andrew Jackson's estate, is something you could tour here in Middle Tennessee, and someone from there was listening to our old show Midday One Eighty, and they called in and looked up Chad's lineage to this guy, Francis von. Schmidow. And they found like
0: archival uh, notebooks, you know, written in quill yes. with a quill pen back in the day of people that fought alongside General Andrew Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. And Francois von Schmidt was one of his right-hand guys
1: Yes, and at the
0: battle. And there was a prayer. There's
1: a prayer that's engraved somewhere over there, right? Yes.
0: It's somewhere, he said, you can see an engraving of the prayer. Francois von Schmidow, uh, my ancestor, led the, led the prayer. I really want to do this with our softball team at some point, too. <laughs> but led the prayer before the Battle of New Orleans. The prayer went something like, Lord, stand with us. But if you will not stand with us, stand aside and watch the damnedest fight you've ever seen. <laughs> Amen. That was that was the prayer before they fought the Brits at the Battle of New Orleans. And he had how many children with how many uh, wives? He was or a women? Uh, Nick Cannon like uh, type resume. I think he ended up with uh, eleven or twelve total. He fathered his last child at seventy-eight, I think, with a like nineteen-year-old wife he had six or seven wives and over the course of his life that's your lineage right it's that's, through the 19 year old that's yeah i know yes my my lineage was uh, as my aunt told me my lineage i think it was my aunt my lineage is through the most like <laughs> it's basically amazing. through the like worst of the wives like whatever the most scandalous situation was like the wife who, you know, at the time, I don't know that there were, you know, consent laws, but the one that was probably under 18 when he married her, I think that's my ancestor. Like I come from that line. I like so it. I believe it's the one where he was the oldest and the wife was the youngest. That's my, that's my so, line, tree of the family. That's wh- my
1: branch, the family tree. One of the things I'm just going to pay for and do on my own, uh, is a DNA deal or something. Cause I'm a couple years from 40 and a year and a half from 40. And I, I'm tired of putting... You're, you're adopted. I'm adopted. Don't yeah. know your lineage. Right. I know nothing about it. And I'm tired of putting N.A. on my medical history. That's really what I'm doing this for. But yeah. I think this could be really fun um, if we can trace back wherever. I, and I'm okay with any result. It could be positive or negative as long as it's not a, you know, a prank. Whenever you want to uh, reveal this on air, but I'll, I'll give I, I you the results all, and we can for do it live. This.
0: Hutton, we should make a pact that you do this and we do it on air, yeah. and I write the biography of Francois von Schmidt also, and we publish it. Let's get a publisher.
1: We know a publisher, Merck. Jonathan Merck can publish it. That's right. Hit us up on social for uh, you can join the chat on this at OutKick three sixty. Coming up, headlines: Nate Oates has talked again. Plus, we go to the NFL Combine with John McClain. It's all straight ahead on OutKick 360 right here on the OutKick Network.